This is where they are building the largest nuclear fusion reactor in the world. Yeah, a friend of mine told me I had to check out this pool. America on Main Street and at the dinner table is talking about infrastructure when 20 years ago they didn't even know what that meant. Today those towers are an astounding display of wealth, prestige and engineering first. It's impacting everyday Americans. I am against the train the way it's being done right now. New York City housing is a scam. It is a scam, 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 scam. The Shard in central London is being officially opened today and at 310 metres tall, it's Europe's newest and tallest skyscraper. Hello, I'm Fred Mills. And this is the world's best construction podcast by the B1M. Hello, hello. Welcome to an absolute audio delight sliced in, slipped into your week, courtesy of the B1M. I am Fred Mills. I'm the face, voice and host of the B1M, which is the world's largest, most subscribed to video platform for construction. And as always, on the World's Best Construction Podcast, I'm joined by two fantastic people. We've got the B1M's Chief Revenue Officer, Liam Marsh, uh, in London right now, talking to us from the same city that we're in, which is very cool. And also one of our creative producers in charge of podcasting, Luke Bly. How you doing, mate? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad, thanks, Fred. Uh, I shot a uh, wedding, photographed a wedding, the other side of London uh, on the weekend. And it wasn't far from Brent, you know, like Brent. And there's they've got loads of new towers going up around there, haven't they? And there's this really slender, tall building. And I thought, where's that come from? Because I don't really go like west of central London often, so... That was really impressive. Do you know the? Do you know this site I'm talking I about? I do. I do. There's a yeah. lot happening over there. A lot up, up and coming, as they would say. Lots going yeah. on. How was? Yeah. How was the wedding? It sounds high, high pressure photographing a wedding. Oh, it's great fun, mate. It's great. I love shooting a wedding. You know, everyone's everyone's having a good time. Everyone's dressed up well. It's always good fun, isn't it? It's always good fun. Um, but London, London, so good. Good for construction. Uh, Liam. Uh, how are you enjoying London at the moment, mate? You good? Yeah, it's still good, mate. I'm still still loving being here. I've got a couple more weeks uh, until I head back to Sydney. Um, interestingly, I uh, went on a little skyscraper tour on the weekend as well, Luke. I um, oh, yeah. I haven't been to the the city of London for about twelve months um, in and around Liverpool Street. Obviously, we're talking about all these towers, skyscrapers going up, um, you know, all the time at the B one M. So I just went for a little wander and it is pretty amazing the amount of work that's happened in the last 12 months, the amount of skyscrapers, the amount of cranes in the on top of the buildings. Um, one thing I did notice and what I'd be pretty annoyed about if, if I was um, in one of these buildings is 22 Bishop's Gate's gone up, right? Now you've got eight Bishop's Gate right next to it, like, yeah. like a couple of meters away from it. And it's literally blocking out half of the building's view. Yeah, yeah, oh, I know. The wild. If I, if, if you imagine, you put down a lease, you know, five years office lease, and you're like, oh, this view's amazing. This is so good. And then, bang! <laughs> Next minute, skyscraper in front of you. You can always look the other way, right? That's <laughs> not, that's not really, because you look the other way and you've got another building on the side. It's kind of <laughs> like, oh, I'd be, I'd be fuming. <sighs> but it looks awesome looking at all the all the development going down there. It's really cool. I had the, I got a nice little shot of my favorite building, the Walkie Talkie crane next to it in the background the sky uh the sun beaming down it was good great good day mm, perfect perfect how uh how are you going fred i hear you've got a bit of a bit of news for us on the show <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm good mate there's lots going on lots happening as usual uh yes the interesting thing is that we have a new installment in the fred mills new york flight saga we're gonna we're gonna bring you these each week now to keep you on keep you on <laughs> and keep you engaged <laughs> Family member of my family, who I'm going to remain anonymous, I'm going to keep some anonymity here. But she was at uh, her weekly exercise class, or one of her daily exercise classes this week, uh, and was talking to her friend and said, "Oh, you wouldn't believe Fred's flight back from New York." And then her friend stopped her and said, "You're not going to say 21 hours?" She said, "Yeah. Oh, my son was on the same plane, and he was down the back where all the action was." And it turns out that my my fears are confirmed. The guy was going crazy, had punched people, was being restrained, had tried to open the door at one point. Like, 
absolutely oh. crazy. I was I was right. It wasn't just someone who was on well we had to land. It was a nutter trying to uh, kind of sabotage our flight on nine eleven. So that was fun. Yeah. Wow. So the so the chat about him having seizures and things like that that's that was completely false, well, right? I, I don't I don't know. I don't. I, I'm probably never going to get the full facts. I was told that. I'm not suggesting that they lied to me. Maybe he did have a seizure as part of this as well, but. There was a lot more to it than what we were told, which I think, again, is pretty shocking. So there you go. Um, next week, guys, we're going to bring you some more information from the New York flight as we as we, as we we steadily <laughs> get more people come forward with their stories and full information. <laughs> and we'll bring them. Um, well, there is a hotline. There is not. There is not a hotline. But you know what I mean? If, you, if you've if, got any if, information, if you were on this yeah. plane, let us know. Exactly. Email into the B1M. Yeah, Ooh. let us know. We, we'll piece together the facts, some investigative journalism. <laughs> I feel a YouTube video coming on here. I feel a YouTube video yeah. coming up. On that point, we've got an absolute little cracker, a little firecracker of a podcast show for you this week. We are looking at the world's deepest pool in Dubai. We have got mini nuclear reactors that can be built anywhere. New York has listed a $250 million apartment in the middle of an affordable housing crisis. There's wildlife-friendly building facades. We've got funny comment of the week and some of your emails. Let's go. So, first up this week, guys, we are heading over to Dubai, the home of some incredible feats of construction, where the city has built the world's deepest pool. Now, this opened last year. We featured it on the B1M last year. We're going back into the archives to take another kind of deep, pardon the pun, deep look at this incredible feat of engineering and construction. Now, in case you've been under a rock or not attached to the internet in any way for the past 10 years, Dubai has built a fair few impressive construction projects. It's laid claim to some ridiculous titles. World's tallest building, world's highest mall, world's twistiest skyscraper, world's tallest hotel. It's taken the title of the world's tallest hotel from itself four times. Um, and as Liam will know, there was a point back in 2021 where the B1M were making a few, a few different videos that all kind of ended up with Dubai has built the world's something. And it was either deepest pool, biggest cantilever, biggest observation wheel, tallest skyscraper. <laughs> like they were just, they were just absolutely smashing it over there uh, in their kind of quest to get attention and build a landmark city. This incredible place is now home to something called Deep Dive Dubai, DDD, the world's deepest pool. Now, very unassuming from the outside, it's built in this oyster-shaped building near downtown Dubai, 60.02 metres deep. Your kind of local pool is probably max 1.82 metres deep, so this is an extremely deep pool. It goes 18 storeys underground, holds 14 million litres of water. It has to be seen to be believed. Absolutely incredible feat of engineering and construction and a pretty cool place to, to go. And go and have a swim, go and have a dip or a deep dive. Go into this pool, there are two underwater habitats where divers can resurface in dry chambers at the 6 and 21 metre marks. So the place is kind of designed for divers to practice, try out or you know have a much safer experience than diving in the sea you go into it when you first go down about six meters you can come up again indoors in these sort of underwater dry chamber abandoned city themed rooms which are very very cool another one of those at 21 meters there's then this kind of post-apocalyptic themed sunken city depicting an abandoned world which was built last year but now kind of probably bears resemblance to much of the planet we currently live on <laughs> the way things are going uh, and then after all that there's this deep dive shaft don't laugh which goes all the way down 18 stories and that is for specialist divers only extreme water pressure very dark very little light incredible incredible place so when they built this it was kept kind of largely under wraps by virtue of it being a big hole in the ground but they built the building on top of it quite early doors so you couldn't see from satellite images what was happening inside uh, and the reason they did that is because dubai likes to kind of keep their engineering feats under wraps or the final title of them under wraps until until the last minute we encountered that when we covered the world's longest cantilever they were quite cautious about us talking about that before it was official because they wanted to make sure they could definitely build and retain the record 
So yeah, this one was built pretty much under wraps. It took the title from the 45 meter deep deep spot uh, pool in Poland, uh, which has only been, I think, the world's deepest pool for a few months. So Dubai took it over by you know, a massive 20 or 15 meters a few months later. The way they built this is pretty incredible. So they built these basically progressive concrete boxes. And then once they built a concrete box, mm-hmm. they dig from the bottom of that down and build the next concrete box, the next concrete box, the next concrete box. Uh, it's all designed to settle under the weight of the water. So once you put the water in, this thing will settle and move down in the ground. So that was all designed in. Took several weeks to fill with water. Absolutely incredible. Let's dive into it. What do you guys think? Oh, I was going to say dive into it. Yeah, go on. (laughs) (laughs) So cheesy. So cheesy. We love it. We love it. Yeah, is um, Will Smith coming on? to this episode at any point or uh no not since he slapped someone at the oscars mate so uh, <laughs> otherwise well, otherwise we'd have had will on wouldn't we yeah by <laughs> now yeah best mates mate you you, you you're friends of everyone fred you know everyone mate so i'm I do not know a be man. surprised i do actually know a man called will smith but it's not that will smith all oh, right okay all right then well um yeah because that's a little that is a soundbite from our intro as well, because I'm sure that will confuse some people who maybe aren't familiar with it. Just Will Smith said, yeah, I had to come check out this pool. <laughs> yeah, but it's like about <laughs> this pool, um, which is kind of a big deal. Uh, yeah, I'll be honest. It's one of those videos, mate, that I had no idea this kind of thing existed until B1M uh, showed us, you know. And uh, it, it, it's nice to see that it serves a purpose you know, for research purposes um, and for even, I suppose, like hobbyists, you'd say maybe, because it's quite, it's an impressive thing. I mean, the abandoned city stuff is quite surreal to see. Didn't they say they also film things there? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's one yeah. of the biggest film stages in the world or the Middle East or something. So they film underwater, mm-hmm. these sort of music videos where people are floating underwater in a lot of long white flowing dresses and stuff. They film all that yeah. there. Yeah pretty cool and they also do like not just music videos but movie sequences and stuff yeah it's pretty incredible i wonder how many um other current construction projects like this is uh is going on there because like like you say we work with covering dubai projects all the time we don't know until sort of the last minute so i wonder how many you know two three four whatever um interestingly i actually checked out um how many sort of unique buildings infrastructure projects things like this that that dubai has like over the world and they hold 339 guinness world records for for things like this so they they have the largest airport terminal so not largest airport but the terminal largest indoor ski resort greatest number of diamonds on a perfume bottle and the largest (laughs) (laughs) insane right so it's so dubai (laughs) yeah and uh the largest shopping mall or mall as you guys would say it no, there you we'd go. say shopping center, mate. We'd say shopping center. Yeah. <laughs> it, it goes on. Um, they've got world's highest infinity pool, largest uh, picture frame, tallest vertical maze, largest man-made island, longest driverless metro system, largest acrylic panel. Oh, that's that's a that's one we all want. Um, longest urban zip line, which sounds great. Yeah, what a place! Tallest vertical maze whatever that is basically a pattern on a building yes all right dubai we get it well done (laughs) like oh mate stuff like that gets on my nerves because there's that's it's a non-existent isn't it a vertical maze like that's just not a thing so that gets on my nerves a little bit and this goes into i was going to ask this a wee bit like later on into the show but i'm going to ask it now because i think it's like you've you've mentioned kind of the world record stuff do you think that dubai are just trying to build things for records and essentially are they all vanity projects and in turn is something like this being built in dubai is it just a vanity project because it doesn't seem like it's just for re like research purposes and it kind of just looks like a theme park attraction but maybe that's how cool the video was i don't know so what what are your thoughts on that fred they were for a while yes there was definitely a long-term strategy to put dubai on the map you know for a long time it was just uh, a trading port and a fishing village Mm. frankly we had a very strategically well-placed airport they leaned into that made it a global aviation hub and then 
uh, have expanded over the last few years, the last two decades really, they've worked to move the city's economy away from being fully dependent on, on fully dependent on oil to largely dependent on tourism and other industries as well. Part of that, they've built a lot of the world's biggest, world's longest, world's tallest, world's best things to mm. put themselves on the map. But now we actually did a video on tomorrow's build on this earlier in the year. There's a strategy to really move beyond that and create a, create a deeper, more culturally invested, better planned, better laid out city. So I think you're going to see a lot of this stuff start to stop and the city focus more on its kind of long-term longevity rather than just these kind of tokenistic quick-fire projects. Tokenistic, worth saying, yeah. yeah, it's worth saying deep dive is. Dubai is one of those things where they're trying to make it a centre of excellence for diving, for film production. So it's not just a... Yes, it's the world's deepest pool. It gets the headlines. It looks crazy. It's great for YouTube, as uh, 3.2 million of our viewers can attest. But it also, you know brings skills jobs learning and other industries into the area so yeah did you say in the video that it's deeper than the statue of liberty yes the statue of liberty could be i believe submerged in the entire wow thing <laughs> yes that's crazy hey? that is incredible. that is insane when you put it into like perspective like that it just shows the scale of this project yeah it's insanely yes. deep it kind of scares me a little bit, you know, like that sort of deep water, you know, just like goes on and on and on. Like I have a healthy respect for that. And, and I love swimming. I like going in the sea and stuff. But things like that, you think, oh, that you got to know what you're doing yeah. to do that. And, and they say that. in it, it, So these guys only allow certain divers to go beyond uh, a certain point, right? Yeah, so, you have to be specially trained to go to certain areas. And they even have this hyperbaric chamber when you come back up to kind of reacclimatize you to the you know, the surface level pressures, which, which is pretty impressive. Um, I'm not sure, I guess, different depths will require you to go in that or not. You know, it's, yeah, it's a pretty advanced, a pretty advanced bit of kit. How are they, um, when it goes to the deepest point of the shaft, how do they test that? As in, I, I remember part of the video, it said they have to reinforce it with a certain amount of layers or a certain type of concrete. Um, how do they test that to make sure it can withstand that amount of pressure from the water? I don't know. I, I must be, I must be, a degree of it is calculation. So they know how much water pressure is exerted by a certain depth. Therefore, they can calculate what it will be at that depth and design concrete to it. I imagine they probably do a bit of this testing out in the sea as well at certain depths to see if concrete can withstand at those kind of those kind of areas i mean it's um it's for anyone that's worked on a construction project you will know that water is your enemy and i've worked on projects where making sure the roof is designed with a certain system in a certain way and built at a certain time of year is absolutely critical because once you have a leak it can be pretty much next to impossible to find where that leak is and deal with it and get it addressed. And if you've got a leaking building, in terms of a, from a contract perspective, that's a a bit of a pain in the backside because you can't get your building signed off, completed, defect free, handed over, and get paid for it because you've got a leak going on. So I would imagine that with buildings like this, a super deep pool, it can't leak. And trying to make sure that whole environment is watertight must have been. Again, in itself, was an extreme feat of design and engineering. So, yeah, incredible stuff. Is this a little bit like? Um, and again, I'm, I'm I'm leaning into your expertise here, Fred. So, if you don't know this, then mate, then, then sorry about that. But like, <laughs> is this a bit like building a huge concrete core for a for a tower or something like that? Is that effectively what this is similar to? No, it's more like building a very deep basement car park or basement structure into the ground uh okay. so you've got a lot of retaining going on as you go down you've got a lot of spoil coming out that needs to be taken away used somewhere processed treated you've got a lot of unknowns so when you're building up into the air you, you can kind of see where you're going you can see what's going on there's right, obviously there's right. loads of factors like seismic design airflow currents or you know all kinds of stuff like that, which goes with skyscraper construction. But it's far easier than dealing to the ground because in the ground, you have unknowns. You don't know if you might hit 
you can do surveys, you can do radar scans, LIDAR scans, you can do all kinds of investigation. But the fact is, until you actually start digging and you've actually completed that part of the construction project, you're not out of the woods because you might find, I mean, less less so in Dubai, but, you know, some sort of ancient Roman burial ground or a sword or an aquifer or a cave you didn't know was there or a load of mm-hmm. sand that's not supposed mm-hmm. to be there. And, mm-hmm. you know... It's it's extraordinarily risky, expensive, time consuming. Wow! And again, yeah. it's so Dubai, isn't it? This whole thing is so yeah. Dubai. It is, mate. <laughs> it, you know, and that's what I can't help but but feel is that with with a lot of things in Dubai, I've I've never really been one who um, is desperate to go see Dubai and go out there and visit. Have you been? You've been there, right, Fred? I've been a long time ago, uh, so I haven't been mm. since since some of these crazy projects came along. But I remember I went. I actually ended up going one year, and then again the following year. And what had been desert in front of the hotel I stayed, I stayed in the yeah. same hotel. What had been desert in front of me when I came back a year later was suddenly highways, roads, and skyscrapers. It was absolutely insane. The rate and the pace of growth is ridiculous. Um, I went June driving as, as separately, not related to construction oh. at all, but as part of my little link there to the sand, went June driving. That was one of, one of the roughest, most hilarious, great fun experiences I've ever had. So, yeah. And getting out of the car in the middle of the desert was not as hot as some of the places I was this summer, including that site in Frankfurt. So, <laughs> 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 yeah, we've been matched, been matched by the 40 degree heat it's, across Europe this summer. The ones where your jeans are <laughs> melted on your legs, is that what? <laughs> that's, oh. They're the ones, well, they're the ones. As, as a construction enthusiast and just like geek, someone who like enjoys this kind of thing, right? Because I, f- I feel like I share that with you. Like, would you recommend visiting Dubai like now? in 2022 2023 yeah definitely i think it has to it's the kind of place has to be seen to be believed there's some incredible feats of engineering and construction it's it's unlike anywhere else in the world you know it's very different to a european city or a u.s city uh, or even an australian city so yeah I'd, I'd highly recommend it it's a pretty pretty incredible pretty mind-blowing place that kind of just pushes the limits of everything in a way so yeah i'd definitely recommend it but you ain't got the tallest observation deck there, have you? So uh, gonna have to work <laughs> on that in Dubai. <laughs> where's Where's that, Luke? Shanghai Tower. Shanghai, isn't it? Yeah, Shanghai no. Tower. It used to be the Shanghai. Is it the Finance Tower, the one that looks yeah. like a bottle opener? Yeah, I think that's. Yeah. It used to be that one. Um, yeah, which is I really like that building. But anyway, there we go. Fun story about this video. We had actually tried for a very long time to make a video on building the world's deepest pool. And we'd been in contact with Deep Spot in in Poland for a very long time. We knew that was being constructed. It was coming to completion. We were talking to them about licensing uh, some uh, drone footage and time-lapse footage of the construction process happening. There was a plan for me to go over there and film and swim in the pool and dive off the side and talk about it as towards the end of the pandemic, which was all being planned and all approved and all good to go. And then they just kind of ghosted us. They, they were like, oh, no, we're going to deal with um, bigger media now, like the BBC, CNN, and other places that want to cover it. And in the end, they ended up getting like very little coverage of it. But a few months later, Dubai built the world's deepest pool. We made a video on that and got 3.2 million views. So uh, Fools. Fools, I like, mate. I like mm. my revenge. Solve, serve stone cold. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fred Mills loves loves a grudge. <laughs> I know what are you talking about, Liam? <laughs> Another interesting fact about the about the video and about the pool that I that I noticed is that you can't go to the top of the Burj Khalifa for twenty four hours after swimming in the pool. I think you can't. I think you mentioned in the video you can't go above three hundred and fifty. Um, feet above um sea level or something fred yeah so there's this thing if you've been down at the bottom of the pool you're advised not to go up any tall buildings afterwards so you, you we and we say in the video might want to might want to avoid your trip up the burj Khalifa. so because uh, they've got this hyperbaric chamber which can be used to treat decompression sickness for up to 10 people at a time Basically, within 24 hours of visiting you're advised not to travel more than 300 meters above sea level so many buildings in Dubai are taller than 300 meters, and it would be you'd be advised not to go up them. That's an oversight, isn't it? 
gets a lot of... I mean, surely you're going to be staying in, like, a high-rise, right? You know, like you said, there's so... Apparently, they got, like, the last few tallest hotels in the world. So, <laughs> they have, they have, yeah. You know, yeah. Sorry, mate, go, go back to your room. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know no. what happens to you. if you Maybe you just feel a bit sick if you go up those heights. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. Do you, guys, do you guys like diving? This is off topic, obviously. I've done it a couple no. of times. I find it a bit... Um, I find it a bit stressful, to be quite honest, because it's it's quite claustrophobic. Yeah, I say, well, do you? Um, I can't, mate. I um, I, I had an accident a few years ago, and I, I injured my left ear, and I lost all my hearing. And um, it, long story short, I went back to the specialist like a, a year later, and um, she said, "Oh, you haven't you haven't gone diving, have you?" And I said, "No, no. Why?" And she goes, "Oh, because if you go under like three meters, um." you won't know which is up or down. So I was like, oh, thank you. Thanks for telling me 12 months later. <laughs> That's mad, isn't it? That is yeah. mad. That sounds well, fun. mate, you've got to be careful. Got to be Next careful. Time. You know? Next time I'm yeah. going swimming with Liam. <laughs> yeah, take him down three meters <laughs> and watch what happens. <laughs> oh, mate, he's swimming in circles. Don't jump other... in the Thames, mate. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the Thames. Some other fun facts about this pool. It uses a NASA-developed filtration system the water is treated with UV light every six hours and is maintained to hold a temperature of 30 degrees all year round for diver comfort year round. There's also viewing windows and 56 underwater cameras. So uh, no retying your shorts discreetly under the water there because they're watching you. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh. <laughs> Let us know what you think of this project, guys. Have you been? Did you go diving and then got the tour building again straight afterwards? Do you want to go to Dubai? What do you want to see in Dubai? Let us know. Podcast at the B1M.com. Also this week, we are looking back into the Tomorrow's Build archives with one of our videos on nuclear. So this is called These Mini Nuclear Reactors Can Be Built Anywhere. Now, nuclear power plants, as you probably know, take decades to build. They cost billions of pounds. They're hugely complex, and finding the right location that everyone can agree on can be extremely difficult. And that's they're kind of all factors that have kind of perpetuated nuclear not being as widely adopted as it could be in some countries like the UK, uh, like some other places. Several companies are now working on something called small modular reactors, which they've abbreviated to SMRs. Uh, now, these things are less expensive, easier to install, and the idea is that you can basically add on to them over time to upgrade the amount of power you need or deliver power for a growing region, community, village. SMRs, are, which is small modular reactors, as you now know, are officially defined as reactors with an output of up to 300 megawatts of electricity. So 300 megawatts electric or less makes it a small modular reactor now these things were actually designed as far back as the 1950s mostly for submarines and big aircraft carriers but it was larger reactors that went on to become more kind of economically viable so we tended to build bigger nuclear fission reactors worldwide and drive electricity from those the idea of smrs kind of kind of fell away they are much smaller, as you might imagine. They generate less heat and there are fewer moving parts. There's fewer safety features. There's less chance of things going wrong. They're pre-made to high safety standards. As I said, they can be expanded and added to to suit different power needs. And to be honest, right now, in this age of high energy costs, a need to move away from fossil fuels and kind of a patchy application of renewables they could be the answer to our energy needs. Now, there are a few different companies kicking around ideas and working on small modular reactors. They're doing real-life projects right now. One of them, I kid you not, is called the Ultra Safe Nuclear Corporation, which is almost <laughs> like parody Homer Simpson-level type name. <laughs> but uh, they've gone for safety in the name, called themselves the Ultra Safe Nuclear Corporation, Inside its reactor, fuel is encased within layers of ceramic coatings and then placed inside a silicone carbide matrix. Don't know what that means, but basically it makes it very safe. When all the fuel of that's been spent after about 20 years, the caskets are swapped out like batteries and then stored in an underground repository, 
similar to the thing we did in Finland. We, we not not that we did. We covered a video. We did a video covering Finland's underground nuclear waste repository. There's also Moltex Energy, so they're designing an SMR that's fueled by recycled nuclear waste from other bigger reactors. That's a type of reactor, sorry, so they're using a type of reactor that uses molten salt for fueling and cooling. That's a method that allows any radioactive gases to be absorbed in the event of an emergency. The reactor can be drained and the salt can be solidified, preventing a meltdown. So that's another very sort of safe, small modular reactor formula. There's also New Scale, so they're building their first SMR project at the Idaho National Laboratory, and that's scheduled to start providing power by 2029. There are also small modular reactors now being built in Argentina and China. So this is one of those things that's huge, could have massive potential, hasn't really been very widely talked about, but is happening around the world right now. These small modular reactors could be coming to your town. They could be the answer to uh, energy generation. As you might imagine, pretty controversial. People are very aware of the risks of nuclear, but at the same time, we've really got to move away from fossil fuels. So what do you guys make of this one? I'm surprised no one, not, not, not more people were talking about it. Like you say, it's not, it's not widely a common um subject area i suppose especially for the the new innovations in these areas um so yeah I, i'm i'm surprised it's not being pushed more globally yeah yeah once again i think this just highlights how um and i'm not just saying this but how impressive and sometimes important the b1m and tomorrow's build is because it shows people what's actually being done out there because again i had no idea until I watched this video, I had no idea something like this existed because it's not always uh, in the interest. I'm using these these this term like really loosely, but it's not always in the interest of media to maybe be sharing this stuff. Maybe the people don't want it. Um, with nuclear, it's it, it's kind of the elephant in the room is that a lot of people don't trust it, right? A lot of people yeah. are like, no, there's been too many accidents, too many problems. And, uh, yeah, we don't want it in our town, don't want it in our county, don't want it in our state, don't want it in our country. So then it's it maybe becomes really problematic and a challenge to try and sell people the idea, the concept of this stuff. Hence why you get ultra-safe nuclear corporation. <laughs> like, oh, my days. That, that almost makes you not trust it. It's like yeah. me putting my Instagram name as like trustworthy Luke. It's like, yeah. why it's would almost, you say it's that? It's almost, almost yeah. like the world's best construction podcast, isn't it? It's like, yeah. SEO purposes, I mean. True, true. Very good, very good. Yeah. Uh, let me just Google ultra safe nuclear options. Yeah. <laughs> Say I wanted like an ultra safe nuclear idea. So I'm like, oh, wow, look at these guys. Ultra safe yeah. nuclear corporation. <laughs> oh, I'll give One thing I'm uh, instantly when I watch the video is um, obviously I think it's a, it, it, it seems like a really good idea. The only thing I am sort of um, hesitant on is burying them in the ground. You know what I mean? Like, yes, I do. I, I, I don't actually know what they do with nuclear waste now. Um, I, they might bury it, but looking at burying these like massive caskets of um, nuclear waste everywhere is that is that a good idea? No. Safe? So what they're doing is that these these small modular reactors can be built anywhere. They tend to be set into the ground for an extra level of safety and also. Um, kind of because it looks better you can't see them they're more sort of yeah. tucked away and less kind of conspicuous um and then sorry i've, I've got the way around but you know what i mean they're, they're they're hidden away a bit more the waste is has always been a problem nuclear waste so there is a solution that finland are employing where they are burying nuclear waste deep inside this you know, deep underground under under sort of the mountain that's one solution. Other solutions are that it basically gets taken to treatment plants and treated there for a very long time. That's that the waste treatment is different to what small modular reactors are doing. Um, I think to Luke's point, you're right. It is a controversial area. This is this is something that 
has a load of potential. It could really solve the energy crisis. It could be the solution to how we power our world for a period of time, but it comes with a lot of risk, and rightly so. After a number of incidents, you know, you think Chernobyl, Fukushima, people are rightly concerned about it. So I think it's, it's right to have that, that hesitation. I think what many people don't realise is there is a lot of safe new safety standards and regulations that have come in now around nuclear fission and how it gets checked and regulated. There's also, as you've probably seen from a previous BLM video, a lot of effort going into nuclear fusion, which is a far cleaner and safer safer form of energy, particularly with the ITER development, the International Thermonuclear Experimental Reactor being built in the south of France. So, yeah, it's it's one of those things. That it's it's interesting. It's compelling. The small modular reactors thing is int- really interesting because it could be a solution to to really roll out nuclear at a faster rate across more areas. But yeah, like you say, people are rightly hesitant. Yeah. That's yeah, that's that's really interesting. If you look at things like solar, I know we sort of mentioned in the video briefly. Um it just reminded me of what Elon Musk said, I think back in like 2015. Um he was he was talking to an audience including I think it was like 30 US um governors or something. And he said if you wanted to power the entire US with solar panels, it would take a fairly small corner of Nevada or Texas or Utah. You'd only need about 100 miles by 100 miles of solar panels to power the entire US. Yeah, I've heard that as well. Yeah, because it's a huge in, call. In, in theory, it, 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 uh, you know, in theory, it can be done. You know, it's not, it's not difficult to do the maths on this is it but mm. what well, i say that it, it obviously is i'm i'm um i'm making it sound a lot easier than it is but you can take you can just take you can take what energy you 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 make out of like a solar field in in a location and then in theory you can just multiply that that's what you do with all energy but obviously the energy industry is extremely complicated um and there's the question of land like buying the sides like a huge chunk of land like that that's obviously a lot bigger than just a power plant it's a lot more invasive for communities possibly but we know solar can work you know, but something like this as well is is potentially a greener, safer option. But when people are throw- continuously going back to our earlier point, when they're continuously throwing out the point, like, "Oh yeah, um, this is safe. This is a safe option. This is a green option." Well, it is <laughs> until something goes wrong. Yeah, and I love history. I really, really love history, and history is great at proving people wrong. It does it all the time. And history tells us that, well, we nuclear is a good option, but we don't always manage it properly. And I think with something like this, it kind of it, it, it allows nuclear to be a lot more accessible, doesn't it? A lot more accessible, like a, almost like a throwaway product you know you don't have to go through the effort of building a huge power plant in france do you know what i mean you can just have a few of these things dotted around and you know you're you're, you're on your way right well you can yeah. doesn't um, that worry you with who could potentially are you uh, saying the, the part where that you can um independently power your own business essentially your own yeah. factory right off yeah. the grid well it makes it a lot more accessible makes it way more accessible and that means that it it's um harder to regulate it's harder to look after and it it increases the possibility of mistakes right in in theory you know i'm not pointing any fingers here but in theory that's exactly what it does right yes those things are true but i should say there is a very high level of regulation around the nuclear energy industry and you can't just rock up and <laughs> start making your own energy reactor like <laughs> it's not it's not possible um but yeah, you're right, Luke. More firms doing it across more sites will create a bigger task for regulation, safety, and control. Definitely. Um, it's worth saying, a quarter of Americans are still not in favor of nuclear power. This is one of the... You know, the US happens to be one of the world's biggest nuclear countries when it comes to nuclear energy gener- generation. It's got something like 100 reactors across the across the country generating power from nuclear. Um, but yeah, there are lots of firms popping up doing this now as i said so there's ultra safe nuclear corporation which we've had a laugh about moltex energy i mentioned new scale there's also terra power which has been set up by bill gates 
and Radiant, which is run by some former SpaceX engineers. So already this small modular reactors thing is becoming a, a sort of viable way forward and lots of people are trying it out. And I think, you know, testament to the engineering and construction industries for making these kind of things happen in a prefabricated modular way on a wide array of sites across the world i think that's that's a fantastic innovation Mm. yeah it's just where there's innovation there's got to be like someone at the back kind of asking the difficult questions and saying is this the smart thing to do you know while we're investing a lot of money in like wind solar and stuff is this you know making it so accessible i don't know i i I feel a little bit dubious about it to be honest um it does remind me though of something that i really am fond of it does remind me a little bit of starlink you know starlink obviously going into orbit providing internet for um people that either have bad internet or no internet at all you know decent broadband this kind of reminds me of that where people maybe have struggled to get energy or to build like a big nuclear power plant this could be a real um solution a like a massive game changer for for people and communities like that and so uh while i'm i'm trying not to be too harsh on it i'm also trying to see that this could really fix people's lives you know so there's that as well there's a race on to kind of work out the future of energy, energy generation on this planet. And there are people doing renewables, and that's everything from solar panels to heat pumps to wind turbines to wind farms, all the rest of it. There's nuclear fission, which we're talking about here, which is either big full-scale nuclear reactors or smaller modular reactors. There's cutting our energy use, which is obviously a big factor anyway. So regardless of where your energy comes from, us all being a bit more mindful and sustainable is important. But for me, I think the most exciting area is nuclear fusion, because if they crack that down at ITER, which, you know, is going to take them a few decades, but if they do, that changes everything because we've got a clean, constant, reliable form of renewable energy forever and everything else becomes irrelevant, which is pretty incredible. No more energy bills, no more big energy bills. <laughs> um, well, No more worrying about the future. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Can't sure someone will make a big profit. Going anywhere. <laughs> yeah. I'm <laughs> sure know. someone will make a big profit somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Do you guys know I think when you when I hear the words ultra safe nuclear corporation, I just think can't stop thinking of Dr. Evil saying it in his little <laughs> voice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it does give that vibe a little bit. You know what I really liked was the salt stuff, like the the the, the um the salt solution, the coolant. In this, yes. what was that? What was that? Again? I'd never seen that before. That looked like something straight out of Star Trek or something. What was that? Yeah, it's very cool. So, Moltex Energy have a are using a type of reactor that's fueled by nuclear waste. It uses molten salt for its fueling and its cooling, and that means that any radioactive gases can be absorbed in the event of an emergency, uh, and the reactor can be drained and the salt solidified, preventing a meltdown. I'm yeah, largely see, reading my notes here because I don't understand <laughs> the details of, of <laughs> I <nuclear don't>. physics. <laughs> if that sounds exactly it's, um, like it sounded earlier on this podcast, it's because I've read the same sentence again yeah. oh. because I don't understand what I'm saying. But <laughs> yeah, oh, fair enough, mate. I was going to see if you were going to expand on it at all. But no, no, <laughs> no, no. I don't I get it at all. But, can't expand yeah. on that. Um, basically, <laughs> yeah, the salt sounds good. <laughs> 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 same <laughs> yeah that's it that's it well, it seems really impressive and it seems like such a um and again i don't mean to 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 simplify but it seems like such a um natural and simple way to cause or to to potentially fix a massive problem and i, I like that so Simple Absolutely. sometimes the best, isn't it? I suppose. So, the Ultra Safe Nuclear Corporation have a fantastic website. It's worth looking at. It's very cool. Um, feels very safe. Feels very reliable. <laughs> 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 um, they sometimes abbreviate themselves to USNC, uh, maybe just to take take the edge off. But yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's a great team doing a great project on there. They support us in the video. They're they're a, yeah, really fantastic with uh, insight and access for making that video. So we appreciate that, guys. Great name. Stick with it. Keep going. <laughs> we'll talk to you soon. Let us know what you think about this guy's podcast at the B1M.com. It's obviously a pretty interesting area, pretty new, exciting form of development. 
Let us know your thoughts. Is this how we power our world? Should we do it another way? Is it safe? How do you feel about it? What do you think of the construction and tech and innovation around it? Let us know. Podcast at the B1M.com. Also in the news this week, we are heading over to New York to look at Central Park Tower, which, as you guys will know, is the world's tallest residential building. Now, a couple of years ago, back in 2020, we did a video on this building. We wanted to cover it in a bit of a different way. We'd done a lot of stuff around New York's super slender skyscrapers and how they're built. So with this, we did building New York's $200 million apartment. At the time, we were kind of guessing how much that apartment price was going to be. So we're looking at the size of other apartments in the area with similar views at lower heights, the rates they'd let at. And we thought that this three-story apartment at the top of this building, this penthouse, would be somewhere in the region of $200 million. And we called it, as I said, building New York's $200 million apartment. Well, this week it was made official it was listed online so developer Extel and realtor Sirhan who many of you will know from our Billionaires Row video we did last December have listed this penthouse at 250 million US dollars it's an incredible property it spans floors 129 to 131 of Central Park Tower which as I said is the world's tallest residential building highest roof line in New York the roof line is taller than one world trade center next to incredible views as you probably imagine an open air balcony a three-story spiral staircase multiple bedrooms and bathrooms grand pianos the works quite a long way from many people's lives right now and what they can probably afford elsewhere in the city or around the world what do you guys uh, what do you guys make of this are you going to put an offer in anytime soon <laughs> Yeah, not with, uh, not with my B1M salary, mate. <laughs> oh. I've, got I've got a bit of a way to go. <laughs> oh, oh, out of order. Out it of order. is. Um, it is stunning, though. Hmm. It is pretty beautiful. That view with the staircase. I mean, you you probably have a lift in there, so you're going to go up, you know, three 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 levels kind of thing internally. But um, that's amazing. I, I think it's beautiful. Yeah, don't know if really someone should be spending two hundred and fifty million dollars on a, on an apartment though. But oh, for, that's know. for them. That's for them to decide, mate. And this isn't just any apartment, I suppose, is it? This is like this is going to be one of the most famous apartments probably on the planet, and you've got one of the best, arguably one of the best views in the world. And I think that's what this is all about because I look at it and the, the apartment is so, so, so impressive. Um, the floor to ceiling height is also really impressive. I noticed that first of all. I was like, man, that's going to, but that's going to be hard to heat as well. You know, the heat's just going to go way up. But, you know, that's rich people problems, I suppose. Um, do you know what, though? I think if this apartment were somewhere else and it didn't have that view, no way would it be 250 million. No way. No, no way would it be that. Um, it's for the view. It's for the view and where you are, I think. Definitely. Yeah, it is it is like the last word in New York apartments and views. There will unlikely ever be anything taller or more impressive than this in terms of height. Really? Do you reckon? Worth say- yeah, well, for a very long time, certainly. It's worth saying that 250 million is the list price. You could probably probably haggle on that one, guys. Probably bring it down a little bit, but um, not down to my level, sadly. The it, it, Just in front of this building, so just in front of Central Park Tower, between Central Park Tower and Central Park itself, is another building called 220 Central Park South. And in 2019, Hedge fund billionaire Ken Griffin paid $238 million for the penthouse in there. Now, that building is officially on the very last street before Central Park, so you won't get built in front of unless they decide to build on Central Park at some point. Um, So he's kind of got the best possible view ever. But that building is much shorter. It's still a tall building, but it's much shorter than Central Park Tower. As I said, levels 129... 130 and 131 with a balcony good god is uh oh. pretty pretty crazy a balcony as well at that height that is yeah. scary isn't it that is scary 
Oh yeah! Imagine like just like playing football out there or something, doing kicky appies. Ah, no, stop, stop, stop! As a song with kids, I'm just like, no, you can't go on the balcony. Come in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I'm not about that. I'm not about that. <laughs> Another story in the news this week is this insect, well, wildlife-friendly facade system that's been developed by Bureau Happold and Cook Fox Architects as part of a kind of innovation show that's been taking place, uh, working out of Boston, an online innovation show. Pretty incredible new facade system that's designed with bird boxes, plants, uh, the kind of bug hotel, you know, tubular type stuff you see integrated within it. Interesting way of bringing wildlife and habitats into the heart of our cities. But as people have been pointing out, potentially wildlife, birds and bugs is not what you want all over a building's facade because it might cause some issues with cleaning and stuff down at street level. So it looks nice. It's a really cool, innovative concept developed as part of this kind of uh, this exhibition. What do you guys think of it? I yeah, I agree. I don't. I don't really know if you should be attracting birds and wildlife to the exterior of a building, especially in a city. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, on it's... the roof, yeah, but on the on the side of the building, I don't know. I feel, I feel a bit. I'm, I'm not a big fan of that. I, I also think it looks quite weird. Oh, no, I love the look of it. I think it looks gorgeous. I love the facade. <laughs> it, is, it is delicious. It's absolutely delicious. But, um, yeah, the practically, um, oh, I don't know how. I mean, just managing it would be so difficult. And it's one of those things that I think it looks, the reason I think it looks good right now is maybe because there's not a lot of, vegetation in it I'm, I'm just looking at kind of the pattern of it and thinking wow that looks impressive but once it's inhabited by little insects and plants and whatever give it 10 20 years it could look really run down i don't know i'm not so I'm it's not a good sold. i think it's a good concept the principles there and obviously we've got to bear in mind this is a concept that's coming out of a kind of an exhibition show i think the subject of biodiversity in our cities is really important, and there's been a lot of stuff around wild gardens being planted, trees on you know pedestrianising areas and introducing trees. We've seen trees on buildings, spoken about that loads. It's a really important factor for the well-being of people in our cities, maintaining the temperature of our cities, and kind of limiting the impacts of construction projects and architecture on the natural world. I think what this does is just kind of lean into what a lot of other buildings are already doing and will already be facing. You know, all these places with trees on them are going to have bugs and birds and all sorts of stuff living in those trees. What this does is make it more compatible for them. If you bring in the self-cleaning pro- properties, the maintenance side, you know, this is designed as a framing system that sits kind of a meter or so out from a glazed facade, glazed windows, whatever it may be. It's I think it's quite a good system. There's, there's some good principles there. It's a good good thing to have a debate and discussion around, and you could take some of this into other future building systems. So I also think it looks cool. I agree with Luke. It's gorgeous, isn't it? Gorgeous. Cool. It's what gorgeous. The, what would the view internally be like? Well, well it, it does. does. Big, big bird, big <laughs> bunch of pigeons nesting together. <laughs> bloody rubbish and sticks and... They do have systems like this already on some buildings, and it creates kind of a shading effect. Obviously, it does affect your view, but it does give you a bit of shading. So if you've got a cracking view of a cracking city, then maybe don't put this in front of it. But in some places where the view is less important, it can be a pretty cool system. They have shown in one of those renders what it could look like on a building, and I think it looks quite effective. I'd, I'd say it'll just be full of pigeons, to be honest. And everyone loves pigeons, especially city pigeons. Touche. <laughs> they do. Touché, right? yeah, yeah. And it would yeah. be full of them. Yeah. It's like when you, whenever I come back whenever I come back to London and I walk under an archway or something like that, you know, you can hear the pigeons up there and I'm always like, you can see on the road which parts, you know, dirty and things like that from them. So I'm always, I'm always really paranoid. Yep. About the getting, railway bridges. The railway yeah. bridges around Waterloo. Yeah. Oh, Awful. exactly, mate. Right by the office. You just Awful. dart through. Yeah, I have a, a, a kind of a long-standing fear of pigeons because one of my first construction projects back when I was a I was a trainee, we went on this uh, site visit and we had to look around this abandoned building which we were going to be tearing down to build a new hospital on the site. And in the top kind of upper three floors of this building, there was a pigeon infestation, 
And I will never forget that day, the smell, the stench, the scene of years worth of pigeons that had come and gone and then been half eaten and lived upon. And it was it was absolutely horrendous. I remember I got home from work that day smelling of pigeon and just like had three showers to get it off me. And ever since then, I look at pigeons and I go, that that'd be toxic <laughs> as well, Fred. There's like specialist people that have to come and clean up like their excrement and things. There like are. That. So we were even like looking at it through closed doors and stuff. We weren't actually in the environment where it was. We had masks on, uh, but even so, it was absolutely disgusting. They were yeah. they were eating each other. There was disease. That's- it was like knee deep. It was horrific. <laughs> that, and that's what that building would have. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's exactly. What's that running through my head? Thing. It's very similar. Oh, random fact on on pigeons while we're on it. Do you know? Have you guys ever seen a baby pigeon? No, never seen one, right? Yeah, I was wondering this a couple of years ago. I was like, why do I never see baby pigeons? <laughs> they apparently. <laughs> I don't know how it came up. I have no idea how it came up. This apparently, podcast just keeps getting bad, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. Have you ever seen a baby bird specialist? Yeah. Have you ever seen a baby pigeon? <laughs> but you haven't. Go on, Liv. Go on, Liv. Keep one? going, mate. Keep I going, mate. You started now. Finish All off. All right. So, uh, according to some article I read that I googled, apparently they stay <laughs> in the nest until they're about three years old because um, things like wow. crows and magpies eat them, eat the babies. That's why if you ever look, if you ever walk walk when you're around London, New York, wherever you are. You always notice there's no baby pigeons. <laughs> That's true. That yeah, is it's true. Wild. It makes yeah, sense. Yeah. That makes yeah. a lot of sense. What a mm. fascinating bit of uh, Dude, information. What <laughs> I've got from some article you Google. Uh, <laughs> 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 could be wrong. In regards, in regards, in regards to a concept like this, Fred. Right? Do you ever feel like in uh, the construction industry, um, it can. F- it, it gets a little bit like an echo chamber sometimes. And there's almost like there's maybe a wee bit of, uh, I don't know, like out of touch with reality. Like you're so engrossed in architecture and design and or engineering construction that it's like it, you kind of forget those everyday sort of things. Yes, 100%. I think some of the best teams... Uh, are very, very good at listening to end users and designing some extraordinary bits of architecture, engineering, construction that support our societies, enable our world to function. I think some teams do sometimes get a little bit ahead of themselves and forget what they're really there to do, and the form starts to override the function. Yeah. I think you're right, yeah. Luke, yeah. This isn't one of them, in my view. I think as a as a concept, as an idea to generate debate and start a conversation and raise awareness of an issue i think this is a good thing they're not going to build it like that it's an idea it's a it's a conversation and i think that's a good thing oh fair play mate fair play i'll back off you're right back off. <laughs> go and sit down oh. yeah, sit i will down, go sit down i'll go bury my head in some sand mate and do <laughs> let's buy. know what you think guys we want to know what you think of this is it a pigeon trap do you want bugs on your building podcast at the b1m.com send in your thoughts Now we're coming over to funny comment of the week. What is in store for us this week, Mr. Liam Marsh? All right. So this is from uh, the Dubai video. Dubai's built the world's deepest pool. Um, I found, I found, I had a little chuckle when I read this. This is from Rob Rick. Very slick name there. Dubai's secret goal is to confuse as many future archaeologists as possible. (laughs) Very good. I thought you were like, oh, Fred. 2,000 years' time. What, what was going on here? Well, we think there was this kind of uh, expo going on. We don't know. Some sort of raising expo. of giants. Or giants live there? Yeah, yeah giants. <laughs> like, yeah. Why is everything so massive? <laughs> That's why they built this enormous pool. Of them to swim in. <laughs> why is there no sewage system? <laughs> <laughs> why why oh. did they recreate the world on some sand islands and then have them sink? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's my favourite one. That's my favourite one. Why put so much steel and concrete into one building with no need when you have all this space next to it? 
yeah, yeah, very good, very good. Hopefully, no one from uh, the Dubai government's listening, mate, or wherever. Don't worry about it. I'm sure they've had their, their fair share of interesting press over the years. Yeah, so. I, true, I, I, like, I like Dubai. I mean, I mean, they're, mm. they've we've done a lot of coverage on them, what they're doing, where they're going. Done some really good coverage on their Dubai 2040 plan where it's headed. So, yeah, good city going I'm in the right direction. Yeah, I love. I'm more sold in it after this episode. Like, I'm more like up for visiting it. It has its controversies. From, like, there there yeah, are some sure. issues around construction labor practices, as there are in in many projects and different schemes across the Middle East. But yeah, it's one of those things that it's an interesting city. I think all, all cities have pros and cons and this is what it's the same in new york same in london same in paris same in tokyo it's the same thing with dubai i think it's a great interesting place as you say liam archaeologists will probably be very confused as to what they find in a few thousand years time mm. maybe they'll go on youtube track down the b1m and be like oh, oh yeah makes sense because mm. youtube oh, yeah. will still be there in two thousand years <laughs> yes that about wraps us up for this week guys let us know what you think about the world's deepest pool in dubai would you go for a swim in it let us know what you think about small modular reactors which are on their way to your hometown do you want them don't you want them how do you feel about the ultra safe nuclear corporation let us know what you think about new york's 250 million dollar apartment are you going to put an offer in anytime soon also the wildlife friendly building facade system we want your thoughts we want your insight send us your emails podcast at the b1m.com And we will see you guys again next week.